0: The following episode is brought to you by the generous donations of Laura Pickren, Daryl Delaney, Darren Katska, Devious Pop-Tart, Irene Villarito, Ryan Royce, Andy Dossett, Danielle Bramhall-Smith, Elizabeth Clark, Eric Whitman, Jessica Smith, Charles Compton, Natasha Rowlerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, David Scrams, Dustin Troop, Edvarth Arnoff, Michael Clark, Rebecca Gauman, and Shelby Johnson as well as all of our generous patrons.
1: D20 Radio, where gamers roll.
2: wwwd Hello, everybody, and welcome to Eberron Renewed, an actual play tabletop RPG podcast where we use the Genesis game and the Eberron campaign setting. I am Jeff. I'm Philip.
3: I'm Trevor. I'm Randy.
2: And I'm Eric. And since I'm talking uh, at the front of this, you know, and also, you know, counting, this is an an (laughs) Eberron. Title of the episode. Uh, You know, okay a lot of clues. The fact that we requested questions if you're on the Discord. <laughs> a lot of clues. You know, uh, way to go all of you sleuths. You figured it out. This is Eberron reviewed. Uh this is where we go back over the last three episodes. We are still mid arc. Um so it's uh again, we have not quite as many questions as I think we will by the time this bad boy wraps up. But we do have a lot to talk about. Um so, yeah, let's just get into it. Again, uh, since I, I didn't say it super clearly, if you have not listened to the last three episodes, if you are new, this is the <laughs> worst possible place to start. I, outside of the <laughs> final episode of Campaign 1, I can't think of a worse place to start listening than this episode. <laughs> Please go back to the beginning of this campaign and start at this there. So this uh, section of this arc begins with us. We're in the, we're in the, uh, in the cogs. We, have, we are essentially in eyesight of the um, Millhatch Lower Division uh warehouse slash factory slash lab slash whatever it is and we decided it is time for us to case the area spend some time looking around seeing uh what we can notice uh some things we you know obviously rolled some dice i think we got some triumphs uh reynard found an open window um we were able to make it so that the now okay we threw around interchangeable terms throughout this between scrying stones and sending stones We, all the players, I think had a really good idea of what we were talking about, but for the listener who might have had some confusion, and I know there's a direct question about this that we'll get to, but it's a little more nuanced than this. We were saying there were essentially security cameras, and however one wanted to envision those, uh, they could, and we'll get a little more in depth in that when we get to the questions, but basically we were able to disable uh, a portion of those. Before we even got into... Well, we didn't disable them. We prevented the guy who was supposed to keep them running from keeping them running. Um, before we even got in. And we feel pretty confident about our plan. And then all of a sudden, the episode ends with our boy Milo getting kicked in the back. Which leads to... us. Uh, the bulk of episode two is a fight. And then we get into the facility. We... Uh, I, I, I did. I stopped and I asked Eric. And we got into the facility. I said, "Do we need to like uh, be making notes of a map? Are you about to make a dungeon crawl happen?" <laughs> and I saw. I could hear Philip's chest tighten through the airwaves. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't that. And I'll be perfectly honest. This is the episode on the fuzziest on, despite the recency bias. I should have. So if you guys want to help me um, with a final episode, any really, amazing- we
1: sneak through some doors. We. Hack into some sec- the security system, or Eris hacks into the security system. Mm-hmm. Um, Reynard gets to be invisible. We sneak through the room and find a hatch in the bottom of the floor where there's screaming coming from, and we descend and are met by the lizard, a, a
0: reptilian-looking figure of no notable the lizard <laughs> <laughs> And
2: that's it. Yeah. That, that's the- and
0: and some shifters hooked up to machines.
2: Yes, the, awesome. the, presumably the missing shifters hooked up to machines. And, the, and I mean, it is important what Eris. certainly some missing shifters. <laughs> what, 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 certainly. What Eris found was just further evidence of what we assumed was happening. They're trying to get certain traits of certain beasts into people or, yeah, humanoids, sentience creatures. Um, Alright, well, we were able to rock out about three minutes on that, so... <laughs> um, no, so let's ask some questions. The first one is from Darren. A question for Eric. Eric or Darren says that he loves the way that you used the player's input and dice rolls to build out the details of the warehouse right at the table. Um, provide some guidance on how you might be able to do something like that in 5E. And of course, Philip and Randy, having both also DM'd, if you have some ideas, I'm sure that Darren will be happy for any and all input.
0: Um, yeah. I in terms of how to port something like that to fifth edition, the the inherent difficulty of porting anything from Genesis into fifth edition is the lack of a, a secondary axis, because uh, mm-hmm. that's where a lot of that came from. Was, you know, you you pass your check, you you do a thing. You have advantage, you get to establish a thing You have threat, something else gets established Same with triumph and despair
1: Um, I think you could do it with Degrees of success Yeah. Um, You set a DC for Just accomplishing what you were trying to do And then, you know, in increments Of five above that DC You get to tack on uh, Some way in which It is advantageous to you
0: Yeah, you just don't get the Good but um, Or no
1: And I mean yeah. No, I mean that's true.
0: I mean you could you could do it where you set the DC and then if it's within five of the DC you do succeed with a cost. With a cost and then Mm -hmm. um and if you're below you fail with an advantage. So you could do something like that. It's not elegant in any way. Um another way that you could do it is have them roll like I, this is just as inelegant, but have a secondary die that represents the the secondary conditions, so like a mm-hmm. D twelve or a D six or whatever, alongside the D twenty. Uh, but once again, you're you're dealing with inelegant solutions, uh, trying to do a mechanic that doesn't really. But I think
1: the meat of Darren's question is how do you how do you let the players' roles yeah. flesh out the play the situation, and yeah. you can certainly do that without needing the the very specific scenario of fail but or yeah. succeed but
2: yeah it could be as much as one to five there's no way up five to ten there's a rope 10, 10 to 15 there's stairs yeah you yeah know? <laughs> i mean and and, and, and if and you roll a 15 to 20 it or maybe 15 to 20 is it's stairs so everyone gets up easily there's your extra yeah oomph of
0: and it. The, the important aspect of it that uh that was in the episode. Is I mean, save yourself some trouble as a DM and don't come up with what those are. Like just if they, if they pass with a certain level of condition, just ask them. Okay, what, what's true about this scenario? Uh, that's or even if they just
1: do. pass. Yeah. Uh, I've run a game where every knowledge check, where I didn't, you know, create a detailed setting, and every knowledge check, I, made the player, answer whatever question they had just asked and wrote it down in my notebook. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways um, to do that, and just be fluid, uh, be flexible, and um, much like with Genesis, uh, allow your players to provide the input and the insight of what they want. Um, and if they can't come with up with anything, then obviously you can step in and say, "Okay, well, is this good enough? Do you like this?" And so, and yeah. if you've never, and I, done I that, think like if your...
3: something sounds reasonable. Like, that probably would be, then I don't even know that I would necessarily make them even roll.
2: Yeah. If
3: it just sounds like, yeah, that place would have that.
2: Yeah. And if, you, if, if you've if you never done that with your players, or they've never done that with another DM or GM, don't expect it to be real good the first few times you ask them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got everybody learn to get, like, I mean, it, it wasn't for us. If you go back and listen to, uh, well, I mean, certainly the Star Wars with me, who'd never played anything or the dusters and dragons thing. I would say, I would argue, I'm still not very good at it, but it's just, it, there's some sea legs to be built with telling the DM or GM what his world looks like. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's, that's. I mean, one of the biggest growing pains, uh, I think, from early, early games in any D20 system, whether it's D&D, Pathfinder, what have you, either trying to make your D20 game more narrative or transferring over to a more narrative system like Genesis, is, you know, uh, early on at most tables, the DM is the the pack mule. They have everything on their back and they're, they're trying to carry that load and trying to get the players involved in that does take a lot of work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not at the fault of the players, just, you know, you establish a certain dynamic and when you start to shift that, it just takes time. So,
2: yeah. I would not be able to live with myself if I didn't point out the fact that at some point during all of that, Eric did say, if you don't play Genesis, you don't get that good butt. And that feels important to me. <laughs> so. he, he might have followed it with order the no and, but, you know, who could, <laughs> that's lost to the sands of time. Uh, <laughs> there was a, I just thought of this. wow At one point, it was after we had cased the place and we said we were going to go to the the whatever local bar and and eris and got milkshakes at some point eric goes and there are other people in there and they are consuming drink and food and I was like eric is a human right i <laughs> 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 my team at dear friend for years is not in fact an alien is
0: <laughs> listen sometimes like my brain gets tired and it just says words in 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 an
2: order that Um, He's passable. To be fair, I did tell my son that his chair was on the chair about twelve times before I got shirt out properly (laughs) earlier this evening. So, okay. Why
1: was his chair on the shirt, Jeff? Nice. (laughs) Well,
2: because kids gotta gotta get big somehow, and he won't go to the gym, so I put his necessities (laughs) under heavy things, and he'll either get it or he'll be cold. All right. (laughs) I promise, I'm a loving father. Uh, Tough loving. All right. um, Arnor wrote a, um, a very, uh, how do I, I, almost said very long. That sounds derogatory. Ar- it is accurate. Arnor, it's a, it's a lengthy question. Arnor wrote a well-considered lengthy, uh, question and comment thing. And I'm going to do my best to distill it to the couple of questions that I think are at the crux of it. And I apologize, Arnor, if I don't do a good job, please give me a couple more for the next time. Okay. Um... Uh, he's uh the crux of it all is uh, the first portion of it is talking about at some point uh i flipped a story point and it was just like yep and at one point randy flipped a story point and then was made to roll uh on top of the story point flipped um also uh so there's part of the question is eric what is your decision on story points work versus story points plus roll and also uh when you choose to flip a story point um, it, it has been noticed that it is almost, not I don't, almost almost exclusively, sometimes it feels that way when you're playing and <laughs> uh, It is more often than not during combat to upgrade a check um, mm-hmm. for us So, when do you decide when it's appropriate to flip a story point? Um, when do you decide it's appropriate what we get to do with ours? And then also the throwing in the blue dice thing And that is a bit for us as well, so start with the first part first
0: yeah, so, uh, so the, the thing with Milo having the badge, that was pinged off of a species ability called Trixie, because Trixie Hobbits is, uh, where Milo could produce a small item at the cost of a story point, point. Um, and so he, he did that, but then he was attempting to use that to, to have an impact on, on his surroundings. Um, I mean, another way of thinking of it is if Milo had flipped that to say, I have a knife, he doesn't just get to stab somebody. Like, (laughs) he would have to roll to to actually stab. Um, And so, yeah, it was very clever and very very well thought out by Randy. But you all were up against the ropes in that room. You all had come in hot and things were not going super at that point.
1: And the conversation had been going a long time. Like, there's none of us who... Upon meeting someone who really is trying to get into our house and then suddenly they go, oh, by the way, right. Sorry, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. <laughs> There's none of us who would just go, oh, oh.
2: let me back up. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, also, yeah, try to get into my house for a half hour and then tell me you're a cop and see if we <laughs> <meet> your changes. <laughs> um, and
0: then putting the using the story point to upgrade the difficulty of the check was reflective of how bad had been going. I mean that guy was in a worse mindset than when you all had walked in the room in terms of believing you and wanting to give you information uh, or cooperate with you. And so yeah I mean the check got upgraded because because of that reason um, and generally speaking, I try to avoid just arbitrarily upgrading a check without spinning a story point just saying yeah and it's a red unless the enemy has adversary in, in which case that is just the mechanics. Um, whereas, and honestly, I don't remember what story point flip uh, Arnor is referencing in terms of of Jeff. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's very similar to the last episode of this arc where uh, I think something was used to establish a window above the door. Um, but that window was not just open and free for mm-hmm. the party to,
1: to utilize. Uh, Aris... I
2: either spent a story point or no, I... No, you, you, you rolled a bunch yeah. of advantage. You rolled a triumph uh-huh. and I asked if I could use your triumph to gotcha. make a transom above the door. Um, yeah, absolutely. that's what it was. And, and so,
0: yeah, I mean, the the story points being flipped or triumphs and advantages, having an impact on the world that can benefit the players is totally reasonable and obviously the way the game is intended to be role, or utilized. But the other people in this world have agency. And they, their opinions can change about the player characters, and that's going to be reflected in, in social roles and stuff like that. And while Randy being very clever, and, and this is something that I'm reconciling in my own brain uh, over the past couple of days with some discussions that's been going on in our discord. Uh, but you know, people at the table being very clever or very good with their words or very um, inherently charismatic, having an innate advantage over other players that maybe don't possess those traits when it comes to social skills is a dubious like like for the past six months i've been lifting weights and working out a lot can i have advantage on all my athletics checks because i've been working really hard at becoming physically stronger no Uh, see uh so just because i can use words well i mean do i get advantage on all my charisma checks um and so so yeah anyway that's just something that i'm uh I'm reconciling in my own brain but uh no i mean absolutely if with the blue dice thing
2: well hang on i I, I actually didn't i realized after i said that i didn't articulate the blue dice portion of this yeah um why don't you give up more blue dice for good clever ideas or good role playing and also why don't we and the other side of that which is fair why don't we petition you for more blue dice for clever ideas
0: I, and see, my, my thing is the the school of thought that I was kind of raised in as a Genesis GM and the tables that I played at and ran really early on, Um, the the GM tended to very much put it on the players to ask for a blue die. Like, if you can justify a blue die, you can have one. But they weren't as quick to just toss them out, I guess. And so that's just something in my own style where if you all were to ask for blue dice I am very rarely going to say no uh, but I tend to not do the best job of keeping in the back of my mind to give
2: them out I also don't administer as many black dice as I should either to be fair but uh, I I need to be better I'll say this I know myself well enough to know that if I if, if I got it in my head that I have to petition for my own blue dice I would become insufferable however, Given the opportunity to petition for blue dice for the other three, I would, I would be sufferable. It, you, they would still be suffering, <laughs> but it would be better. You would suffer, uh, but it would be, be endurable suffering. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I kind of like that idea. Uh, I, I, I might employ that personally going forward as being like, okay. But did you hear the way that Trevor said that? If Reynard that's said very that kids event, on bike. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a little bit kids on bike. What it is, it's, it's very yeah. freeform, universal. You, I meant that positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know, yeah. I know. There's only one part of Kids on Bikes you absolutely disliked. Uh, that, that's and it is not a part of that. Uh, Freeform Universal is a kind of, you know, uh, ephemeral RPG is the best way to say it. And one of the things they do, mm-hmm. they call them Foo Points, F-U, Freeform Universal, uh, that you can pass out to, or you can, you can petition to be given to your other players so that they can enact magical abilities. Uh, I kind of like that idea. For my part
1: with this, um, Eric very rarely sets very high DCs, um, and frankly, I have Eris pretty darn tricked out uh, with all of her gadgets, so Eris is usually rolling at least one bonus die on any roll, just from all the gadgetry that she's got going. Uh, and. Frankly, I really like there being I really like feeling that there is a real chance of failure because I find failure in most situations to be very interesting. Um, You know, unless we're rolling something something dumb, which we're not usually. We've gotten pretty good about not not rolling over things that will have no consequence if they fail. Yeah. Um, And I'm interested in seeing which way the story goes. And so I'm not really inclined to stack my rolls um, to just try and guarantee to, to, to try and do more to guarantee success. Yeah, uh, I realize that the way Genesis works, you can't guarantee perfect success because that and that's a good element of design. Uh, but that's that's my thinking on it is I'm not uh, I'm not unaware that I could ask for blue dice. Mm-hmm. I'm just I, I feel that I've got a good hand and, um, you know, when I have a hand that I'm worried about, I will sometimes try and think if I can justify asking for one, and if I can, I will. Uh, but if I feel okay about the hand that I'm rolling, then I I won't because I want to see what the what the dice tell me.
2: And I'll be honest; I, I, it never occurred to me to try to mm. ask for a blue dice, uh, partially because I didn't. Uh, honestly, no, mainly because I'm I really am a kind of a rules person. And the fact that there is already a mechanic in place for establishing blue dice made mm-hmm. me think, well, that's how you get them. It would be silly to ask for something outside of the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you, get them by passing uh, an advantage on to somebody else. And so just yeah. never even entered my... I am I'm a dumb. Like, that's sh- that's established. So it shouldn't be surprising to anybody <laughs> that was unable to think outside the box. Um, I hope... I, I hope we got to the core of what you were asking, Arnor, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I, I do want to say I did not paraphrase it because of the criticisms within it. They are fair. I think we asked the questions that addressed them. Um, I don't want you to think that we were trying to um, censor or soften your questions. And please let me know if this was okay. Continuing no, I just want to – let me just ahead.
3: add real quick. To, you know, when my, back to the badge you know, when Milo did that, I mean and Eric had me make the roles I mean, it, it didn't even occur to me like well, how come he didn't have Jeff make a role? I mean, you know, that just didn't enter my mind no. uh, I thought, and based on when Milo had come up with the idea I'm like, you yeah, know, this guy's my thought is, this guy's not going to believe me I'm going to have to make a roll. I mean, that was just in my head so anyway, Milo did not feel slighted in any way.
0: Good. Well, and, and one, last, one last piece before we move on to this question, because the, the frequency with which I flip story points was something that was also brought up. And the reason I do that is because from a design standpoint, uh, turning a purple into a red does not actually uh, make it less likely that the players will succeed. Um, adding purples does that. Um, and making the red just increases the likelihood that something interesting will happen and with a despair and that's like my preferred world, uh, like is, is with you all succeeding, but with something interesting happening on top of that. Like I want to see you all succeed and leave devastation in your wake.
1: Uh, <laughs> we have rolled remarkably few despairs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't feel mm. like the we roll a ton of red ton dice. Of red dice. <laughs> I don't feel like we roll a ton of red dice, especially considering the amount of yellow dice that we are able to throw that's at true. most problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, But for the, for the even for the amount we have rolled, I feel like we've rolled remarkably few despairs over the course of the campaign. Obviously, yeah. I have just awakened <laughs> the, the dice gods. Yeah. Yeah. You went and did but, it, bud. You know,
2: we could even I'm cut good. this out of the episode, as Duncan said, and that's what really matters. <laughs> My phone, my my phone's gonna have targeted ads for despairs for weeks now. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Uh, Mark has a question. Um, welcome, Mark. I think this might be your first question we've addressed on on Everon Review. I know he came through with yeah. Shards, right? And jump, yeah, okay. Yeah, we had a couple
1: um, of kyber Shards, including this
2: one, because it was a crossover. It is. It's a crossover. In fact, first thing, who crossover question? Um, for Eric slash Philip, respectively. That's from him. No respect from me. When you're running a game with a PC who doesn't seem invested in the adventure you're telling, not the player, the character, uh, how do you create plot hooks to try and draw them into the campaign? Have you ever had to handle a situation in a home game where a PC left the campaign because they just didn't fit with the rest of the party?
0: Uh, So, yeah. um, I mean, the the biggest thing, and this is something I've talked about pretty frequently um, over on the YouTube channel, is that, that concept of moving the goalposts. And, you know, if if you have a pc or a group of pcs that don't seem invested or whatever in in the story that you're trying to tell then i guess changing the window dressing is a better way to put it like you can you can keep the core function of what you're wanting to do but you know and philip m- mentioned this on the kyber shard answers uh where he spoke to this question but mind the backstory like go go into the history of this character and figure out what they care about what the player cared enough about to put to paper in terms of this character's background and history and i mean that should be something like you're striving to do from the outset in in the way that i tend to design campaigns but um but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what you you need to do. Now, uh, to answer the second part of your question, uh, fortunately, I've never had to handle a situation in, in any game that I've had where a, a player character left because they didn't fit with the rest of the party of the story when I was DMing. I, I have withdrawn a character from a campaign because I didn't think they fit well with the rest of the party or the story being told.
1: It was before we'd learned about session zeros.
0: Yes. Um, and yeah. Um, and yet, ironically, every time Philip and I have tried to do a campaign with a session zero, those have been the ones that have floundered. No, but. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's my thing is I've done it as a player, but never as a DM. Have I. talked to a player and said, hey, I don't I don't think your character's going to work. Let's figure something else out. I've had that conversation at session zero where somebody's pitched a concept and be like, well, can we tweak some things? Um, But I think that's a very different thing. Um,
3: I think most, most players, I mean me, if, if I don't feel like my character is, you know, fits the campaign or if I haven't become invested in him, like, you know, like Faradak, it was like, You know, this just didn't working for me. Can you know? Can I get a new character? Can I roll up somebody else? Yeah. You know, and I'd do the same thing if I thought my character just didn't fit the campaign. I'd say, I don't want to just quit. Can I get somebody new?
0: (laughs) No, you get one, Randy. Your character leaves. You're out. You're done. Your character dies. You're out. This is D and D hardcore. (laughs) Uh, You have to hand over
1: your character sheet and tear it up. Yeah. We're gonna Give melt your dice, your your dice
0: your down. You're you're out, you're out of the table.
3: <laughs> Dishonorably <Yes>. discharged. <laughs> okay. But,
2: yeah. Um let's anyway. sh- let's jump back because I accidentally skipped one. Uh also from Mark. Uh question for Philip and Trevor. Listening to the latest episodes, it feels like your characters don't want to be in an RPG campaign, if that makes sense. Was that intentional on your part to create a character that didn't want to be an adventurer, or have they evolved to become that way? Do you see them ever becoming those types of characters that want to go on adventures, or will they always want to fight against the idea of getting swept up in a story?
4: Trevor, I've talked to you, haven't uh I think Brainard's would be more of just avoiding obligation rather than not wanting to go on adventure. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Ra- Ra-
2: Raynard's got some strong Bartleby the Scrivener vibes. He just, doesn't, <laughs> he just doesn't seem to want to do much.
4: So yeah, I mean, I-, I would say he's down to like do what the group is supposed to do, but maybe not necessarily going to be like, "Hey, let's do this other thing that you guys don't really have any association with, other than me." <laughs> <laughs> and and Reinhardt's yeah. kind
3: of just—I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong—but he's just kind of out for himself. I mean, he's there, but if he needs to book it, he books it. You know, but he's looking after I mean, number I've one. It,
4: I've said it before: as long as the job gets yeah. done, yeah, and the payment gets gets where it's supposed to be.
1: Uh, Eris very much wants to be an adventurer adventurer. Um, Eris is not convinced that she's employed by the right people anymore after, you know, one of them threatened to chop off her hand. Uh, So, you know, I don't really... She doesn't really want to be employed by these people anymore, and she's deeply unthrilled by the degree to which we're becoming increasingly entangled in the houses. Um, but Eris very much wants to be an adventurer. Uh, she's not convinced she wants to be on the specific adventure that the Boromar clan wants her to be on. Um, but I mean, Eris has pitched. Let's flee to Stormreach. Like, let's go hide in a pirate haven. That's not avoiding adventure. Um, <laughs> it's a new adventure. Uh, so no, Eris is Eris is not fighting against against adventure. Eris is not. Uh, averse to adventure she would love uh to go on adventures she is not convinced that we are currently on a wise adventure um and yeah but mostly mostly eris has had a terrible 3 or 4 weeks <laughs> uh and she's very unhappy yeah i guess uh at a lot of people
2: one thing that I have not considered is how different the last month has been from, like, the rest of Hob's life, you know? Um, I, and, that, and that's on me. I really, like, Hob has always, or for a while, just been jobbing for the Bormars, but I can't imagine it's looked like this. So I really <laughs> should be playing that more. I think it's interesting, and I, 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 I hope Mark doesn't think I'm pushing back, uh, that he didn't mention uh, Hob doesn't feel like anything he's done so far has been particularly adventurous and the closer it starts to veer to that I think Hob might start to get more concerned about it uh, Hob Hob likes his corner of Sharn where he cracks heads and makes money and has friends um, so he, yeah, he has was, been, I will say he has been very amiable mm-hmm. which I think might have been what colored this like he's been going along with the things he's been asked to do because he is a loyal person who does his job but I don't know if he necessarily considers himself adventurous.
3: Yeah. And Milo's Um, having thoughts about, can I just be a
2: bookkeeper again?
3: I mean, you know, if it wasn't for this (laughs) magic stuff, he wants to retire. (laughs) If if it wasn't for this magic stuff, he's all of a sudden found himself with, that's what he would be doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Eris was perfectly happy to be a petty thief uh, for the Boromars, which kind of seemed to be our original job. And Eris is very happy to make things for, um, for them. But Eris has, Eris has a very clear idea of what punching her weight looks like. And the more we veer into ticking off yet another dragon-marked house, and the more... Eris is terrified every time we're invited to, to see Satan. Eris wants three or four degrees of separation between her and the head of a criminal organization. Um, uh, If she has to, or she wants to break away and be our own criminal organization. Um, But Eris has a very particular idea of what her punching weight is. And she feels that we are currently punching way out of our league to flip and Mm -hmm. mix sports metaphors. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Punching above our weight class <laughs> Touchdown
2: <laughs> Alright uh, Arner comes back in Eberron question How are you guys liking the change From a single session adventure To a multi-session adventure Additionally is it better or worse Doing multi-session arcs virtually As in do you have a better note-taking system <laughs> When you do everything in front of the computer I will say
1: uh, As far as notes This, this might be good to round into Arnor's next question because okay. it is could we talk about the benefits of the short reduced episodes and the normal one session arcs and then the long adventure so expanding that into kind of a pros and cons okay. between the two sure absolutely. formats
2: um I will say this I, I, my note taking system has changed and that I'm taking notes of this campaign uh which has nothing to do with virtual and more to do with me taking this seriously <laughs> and wanting to be better at it
1: uh, I also take notes um in a notebook just like I did with Barrick. Uh I I mean for one, um we're recording at our computer and you guys don't want to hear me typing notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh for one, I I got a, a quieter keyboard because of all the recording that I do and I occasionally have to look something up, but uh me typing all of my notes down would be no good. Plus I like I like handwriting. Um I won't go off on it teacher rant about all the benefits of handwriting notes over typed notes but um look
2: it up it's there Mm -hmm. um i will say as far as um going from a single session to a multi-session adventure uh by and large we did actually get entire arcs done in one recording session but it's not every Mm -hmm. time so we regularly will be like okay we didn't get to start recording until 9 p.m. We've got two episodes in the can. Can we get back together three days from now and get a third one? Um, yeah. I mean, it happens. And even yeah. when we were doing campaign one, there were times where Philip couldn't make it in. Or if I wasn't feeling well, I would remote in. Um, so we, we've been doing variations of this since probably midway through campaign one. It was when we finally started being like, okay, we need to keep recording and Philip cannot make it up we'll mm. go virtual for this time and so that actually hasn't been a huge change um, we are all champ champing at the bit to get back around the same table together for sure mm-hmm. five sure even <laughs> um, 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 and then as far uh, as the, the only con uh, that I have found of not doing of doing interstitial reviews during the middle of an arc if it runs long is people just don't have questions because they like to ask questions about how end it ended how it began, how it ended, and what changed mm-hmm. between the two. Um, so it's a lot more filler from us. Uh, we appreciate those of you who do have questions. Uh, we also appreciate those of you that don't have questions. I'm down with everybody, but um, that's the only con that I have in all yeah. of this. Is I think it's I think it's more difficult to harvest questions, <laughs> or honestly, interesting things to say sometimes.
1: <laughs> sure, it doesn't
2: keep me from talking, but
1: um. I don't know. I like both. This one, we've gotten to be a little more involved. Um, on the other hand, you enjoy the you know the nice, tight episodic feel of um, of a single session adventure, like that's nice. But this one we've gotten a lot more detail. We've gotten a lot more development. Uh, I will say the only the only thing I might call a con is something inherent in Genesis is because you earn XP every episode, you get to tweak your character every episode. Uh, and technically, we're allowed to do that, but I can't bring myself to and so I've just got x p piling up um waiting for the next time where there are a few days where I can justify uh, Eris learning something new mm-hmm. uh, and so that's that's burning a hole in my pocket and and i hate I hate that feeling um but that's that's not actually inherent in anything that Eric has done or that the campaign is that's just my. Idiosyncrasy. And if you the know, obligation
3: keeps piling up, we won't be spending it
1: anyway. Well, that's a different problem. <laughs>
2: uh, guys, I'm doing my best. I just want
1: to say, I have reduced my obligation on every occasion that I've been given to do so. You so
2: are presented with opportunities to reduce your obligation at every occasion
1: that you get. Hey, you
0: had an
2: opportunity, you just didn't take it. I didn't even know who those twerps were the first time we saw them. <laughs> Literally, we hadn't established what had been done. We did that in a reduced place.
0: Listen, if we're talking about reducing the obligation and dropping the ball, stop yelling at me and look at the guy in the hat. (laughs) For the record, everybody, Randy's wearing a hat. No, (laughs) No,
2: I am not. Uh, (laughs) I'm just Uh, here for the uh, drama.
4: I'm just here for the drama. (laughs) Let's put some theater in it. Come on.
0: Um... For my part, is the GM. I I very much like the longer adventures I've discovered, um, because from a planning standpoint, like Philip said, uh, you can have a lot more detail and it feels less rushed. Like I don't feel like I have to push the pace at the table, uh, and also, like uh, the 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 evil uh, the, the person that they discovered at the end of the last episode. I've had that fight and that encounter written out for like a month and a half now because we haven't gotten to it. So, um, so the planning is a lot easier during the actual arc because I'm not having to plan every single time we're recording. I have the adventure clocked and I will revisit it before we record and tweak stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I like it a lot because I feel like it, 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 it allows things to breathe and feel less rushed. Um, Cause you know, early on in this campaign, we would have those like third episode of the arc episodes where like the last five minutes was a lot of stuff because it was like, okay. And then this happens and this and this and this, and now we're done. Um, and so we run into that less
2: with the longer stuff. I will say also, um, even in campaign one, we never recorded, like we recorded max four episodes in, a, in an actual sit down session. And then yeah. We, yeah. if there was more to do, we would get together again. And I think that stems from, well, one, we're all like, most of us are our parents. All of us have other lives. Um, but by and large, we just know that we're going to sound a lot better uh, doing two hour threes than one hour six uh, yeah. of, of a session to play. Like, we we're, you know, we're, we would get tired. We would get burnt out. Uh, and so I think that we all also know our own limits for giving you guys quality. It's different. I'll play seven hours with my Buddies that know, you know, poor people in Michigan have to suffer through. But when it <laughs> but when it comes to uh, this podcast, we just we know better than that. Uh, in fact, yeah. I, I think we're one of the few podcasts that that does bank. I think most of them d- play an hour a week, uh, and I can't imagine doing that. Wild to me. That would be yeah. for multiple reasons. That would be very difficult for me. Um, yeah. Not the mm. least of which is having to stop playing after an hour. Arnor continues. Um, Trevor, uh, he, he says, I forget, but I think this is your first RPG ever, and it's all been virtual. Do you think doing this face-to-face will change the experience for you or not? Um. It's, it's not my first RPG, is
1: it? <laughs> the, I, I, you played... <laughs> the D with the geek pantheon yeah. as nice. I mean, this f- is your homicidal camp- as a sociopathic christmas Hill
4: that's true <laughs> and we did uh, the one shot
0: campaign yeah yeah, yeah this long form but first this, campaign. But first this time you, definitely you, you, is yes
2: you've
4: never sat down to play the same character three times true <laughs> um yeah it is a little weird because i definitely have questions about everything <laughs> who are you people what did you <laughs> <think>? <laughs> um but I feel a little weird stopping the flow virtually to ask about mechanics and things. And I feel like I would be, like, if we were in person, I'd be like, hold on, what is, what is this? What are we doing? Yeah. Who are we? Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, I am still kind of lost. You can probably tell. but <laughs> I do try to edit most of it
0: out, Trevor. I try to paint you in the best light you give me. So. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say I've never once
2: heard on a release episode, Trevor! So, <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yeah. So, I, I don't know if it's necessarily difficult, uh, but I'm learning at a a, a different level, I guess, than I, I would if we were sitting around a table. I will say,
0: of all the tabletop RPGs in existence, I don't think there is a short list that goes past genesis in systems that are not that do not flourish in a virtual environment more like genesis is so so much different around a table compared to what we've been doing for this campaign um and so yeah i i think
4: i know that i had seen you guys play it at the the con and I mean, you guys would you'd roll the dice, look at it, and be like, "Oh, we got this." And I was like, uh, "You do who? What?" <laughs> and so I like the virtual, like, uh, not an app, the, the website the we're using, yeah, that just says, mm-hmm. "Okay, you got two successes and one yeah fa- failure, yeah. whatever it was." Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you'll
1: know the rules so much better when you start actually having to interpret the dice. Yeah,
2: yeah. that is also true. And plus, it's <laughs> cheating, Trevor. Stop cheating. I remember my first Gamer Nation <laughs> con. I sat down with some guys to play something, and. The fellow next to me, really nice guy. I wish I could remember his name. Uh, but he, uh, I rolled. Phillip. And I had the, ge- yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I had the Genesis generic system dice, and I rolled, and I just kind of turned, and I was like, it's been a while since I've looked at these. Which one's this? And he's an FFG guy, and he goes, oh, I don't speak those dice. <laughs> just, I was like, all right, I guess we'll figure it out together. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, they have different symbols, and they're just alike enough that it could be confusing. Yeah.
0: Um, well
3: i i'd totally prefer to be around a table as opposed to this what we're doing here i i just i don't know i just like being in close proximity i like seeing mm-hmm. all of the body language when i you know when philip goes oh my god what did he do <laughs> i just like to see it all not just a face
2: i have yeah. I have a lot of d d body language, it is, that's fair. It is, it is easier to know exactly who somebody's looking at when they make a disappointed face, as opposed to just down yes. the barrel of yes. the camera and wondering if it's you. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's just like, I mean, everyone who's listening to this has been on a Zoom call in the last year, and has also mm. been in a real in-person workplace, school, or meeting. And the engagement is stronger in person, and as long as it's safe to do so it's obviously preferable to be in person so we are very much yeah yeah
3: the only thing i'm gonna hate about being in person is what a new chair what, <laughs> <laughs> that's true that that's one but what was already alluded to is i do like it when the dice answer everything for me
1: <laughs> yeah I make the
3: yeah. roll. there's mm-hmm. the answer
1: but the feel of dice falling out of your hand and the sound of them hitting the table this is true
0: genesis you get you get the mm-hmm. handful like There's so get, many dice you throw nine so good. dice at once yeah
4: so well uh, i know that virtually so i'm at a, a lot uh lower level of being physically assaulted that's also, that's <laughs> also <laughs> yeah, true I mean, it, if
0: i would have done the vigo rant and pointed in jeff, jeff face in person uh, I might have had to
2: go buy new glasses the next day. Um, I think we all know that if you had done the Vigo rant, you wouldn't have pointed in Jeff's face in person. <laughs> not 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 out of any sense of fear of Jeff, but because you knew that was going to upset me, and you wouldn't do that to me in person. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, okay. So in person's better. In person's <laughs> always better. So uh, Leopard asks, uh, uh, she wants to know from Philip what is Eris's treat to myself day. This is a great question. going to look like in order to recover from um, the utter soul-crushing, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day she is having today.
1: Well, unsurprisingly, Eris would spend the day making something, and then she would mix it into Vigo's drink.
0: Oh my God. I, was about to say, I thought you were going to say and place it under Vigo's desk there.
4: <laughs> <sighs>
2: um, I, sometimes I feel like Philip is, in, is, is orchestrating... That Eris is making us go on the run at some point, by, <laughs> by, by <laughs> like, well, guys. I mean, really, there's only one option now, huh? Huh? Right? <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: Eris Eris obviously relaxes by making stuff, um, and and fiddling with things. Uh, she would probably uh, try to. Well, I guess I've established this about Eris. She would probably try to go back down to the Cogs, uh, and go, um, go hear a band play at a at a Dar Tavern, um, because she doesn't get to do that as much as she wants to. Uh, so music and making things would probably be a big part of it. Honestly, at this point, it's going to involve solitude. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, if she could poison Vigo at the end of that day, it would be better.
2: <laughs> uh, Jerry asks, most important question. No offense to other valid questions. Uh, Jerry. How disappointed is everyone that Posey's name isn't Posey?
0: I said off the air that I ha- I painted myself into a real Baby Yoda situation where <laughs> you know, he's never.
1: Uh, I mean, I can't tell you what her name is right now. Aran uh, Ar- Aran, yeah, Arancis, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not disappointed that her name's not Posey. I will probably still have a hard time not referring to her as Posey out of character. Um,
3: I think I would have been disappointed if her name would have been Posey. Yeah.
2: Uh, My name's Posey. The biggest thing is I never held any illusions that he was going to have her be named Posey after we had started calling her that. Now, I can't remember if we ever called her that in character or if it was only out of character. Because if we ever did in character, um, I'm not going to look it up either. Uh, Or let's (laughs) go back and listen. Uh, But if we ever did do it in character, I think that we would probably continue to do it when she wasn't around. (laughs) But Yeah. Uh, Posey was I don't very think that very we funny, did. yeah. Posey was a really funny serendipitous moment that I'm glad we all got to f- have together, uh, including all of you wonderful listeners. But yes, her name is Arancis to something, and Canis. Yep, yeah. We all heard me say it, and uh, <laughs> and that is great. Okay, uh, Leopard. <laughs> I like this one. Leopard, fire in all cylinders. If Eris accidentally lacerated her arm, would she think about replacing it with a robotic arm before going to a healer?
1: (laughs) So uh, I will answer this question in the spirit it was given. Yes, of course, Eris would consider making her own prosthetic. And now I will answer it more literally than it's probably intended. Uh, no, Eris is not going to self-amputate. Like Eris is not, <laughs> Eris is not competent to amputate a- her own arm before ins- and then make a prosthetic to install. Eris Get a would paper need cap. to go. Well, this one's ruined. <laughs> yeah. Eris would need to go to a healer before she could <laughs> think about doing that. But I mean, yes, if Eris, if Eris lost her arm, I mean, honestly, just yes, Eris would think of after the horrible <laughs> trauma that would be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Eris would think of all the cool things she could make as a prosthesis um, but in addition to her interest in that area of in, in artifice um, I have no idea what the cost is but the cost of getting house um, Jurasco to regrow an arm uh, I mean Greater that's restoration, a that's, I think no is it's a, it's not it's um, um, oh, shoot ah it's like regrowth or something or regeneration or something like that um anyway it's a very high level spell that would be super expensive uh and that regenerate that's the name of the spell and it is in dnd terms uh, seventh level um which would require a very I, high I level some,
2: some real components too like
0: yeah I mean, dust Maybe for 12, 12 diamonds a handful of people on the continent
1: capable
2: yeah, of doing that. Right. Like um,
1: I don't know what and they're
2: all off fighting. You know, dragons. Not repairing. Not,
1: <laughs> not having the heal skill. The heal spell on uh, Eris. I'm not deeply familiar with its intricacies. I'm sure there is some level of the heal spell that would allow you to regenerate a lost uh, body part, or probably there is. But I assume that like regenerate, it would be pretty intense in the difficulty.
2: I wonder has, has Eris ever thought while certainly not impossible, it would be much more difficult to create a prosthetic arm with only one arm. I should probably go ahead and get started on this preemptively, just in case. <laughs> uh, I don't think she has,
1: but she's probably had that thought. Uh, I'm sure that Eris has all sorts of interesting thoughts about Olive's uh, rig, oh, I uh, and the the immense usefulness of that, um, and, and so Eris would Eris would probably require some assistance in building a new uh, a new hand for herself, um, the built in knife blade of which she would use to kill Vigo.
2: Um, <laughs> oh, man, I mean. I appreciate that you stand in her truth, whether anybody asked or not. <laughs>
0: well, just uh, don't get a one hundred and one to one hundred and five on a critical injury, I and mean, you don't got to worry about it. Fair enough. But that's that's right. lose a limb. So,
1: oh uh, wow, that's that's not as that's deep surprisingly, as I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's surprisingly reachable. <laughs> you only have to have one critical injury already to have or, that or option. vicious. Or vicious. Oh, my gosh.
2: (laughs) I'm much more concerned about this now. (laughs) Richard asks, uh, he says, I may have missed it, but was the group that jumped Milo part of House Thrash? Or were they security for the warehouse? Or did Eric not say, and it's a mystery for another time? I think I said their Dask, which is the rival, one of the rival
0: gangs to Boromar. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, i mean the yeah. the beef going on with uh house Deneth and house thrask it's it 's that but the criminal underworld of the proper criminal organization and then the monstrous criminal organization so yeah they saw although boy- they
1: are i don't know maybe we don't know this uh i i'm i'm never sure how much we know because we have we're a part of a gang that has a beef with them mm. yeah they are also out of they they do also deal with with quote unquote monstrous races Yeah. Uh, Which is probably where the uh, uh... mix up. Yeah. 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 So, uh,
0: so yeah, they, they just saw Milo is a known associate of Boromar and has been for a long time. So they saw a Boromar boy wandering around in their turf and kicked him in the back. So,
2: all right. Okay. Richard has another question Um, and and, and, and an Irene follow up that I need to pull up. Hang on. Okay, so Richard has another question. I always thought that sending stones were rocks with magic runes, but Eris was essentially trying to hack the stone. Could you explain how this would work? Does a sending stone have circuitry, or was hack more of a metaphor for messing with the runes? And Irene kind of follows up on that. Uh, In fact, she begins, continuing from Richard's question. It sounds like you and the players were envisioning those stones functioning more like video security camera system. (laughs) That's funny. She actually asked this question after I had said that during this recording. Uh, do you... Where are you, Irene? <laughs> Your Google target marketing. Did you consider creating a different magical item, crystal, shard, or doohickey to do that? And I would like to start off by saying, criminal lack of doohickey so far in this campaign. Continue. Excuse me. Oh, those are not... entire wheelhouse is doohickeys. How dare you sell Aeris short? Those are not doohickeys. Those are apparati. Who's the what's-its? So... I mean
0: once again the the terminology got flipped uh i did use the term scrying stones because i did want to i did want to distinguish them from ascending stone which is auditory and making make it something that was visual and auditory um so it was something different from ascending stone um and yeah i mean richard if i'm being perfectly honest uh, when i described them i thought they were rocks with runes on them also but then Philip rolled really well and said, hey, can I pull a component out of it? Yeah. So then the the appearance of them shifted based on the dice, which is is Genesis. I mean, that like... Um, and, and you know, we, we went back and forth on what that looked like, obviously.
1: But. Sure. Well, and, and any product of... I mean, they're a product of artifice. So yeah. in- inevitably, because what we've got is a magic item that perpetually scries. So... This is like a artifact-level magic item. This is an awesome thing. Uh, and the sort of Eberron assumption that I work off of with Eris is anything that is a complex magic item, especially if it's made by a house, uh, is made of is made up with schema. Um, and so uh, I... You know was imagining how i was accessing it which i tend to imagine eris uh when she's trying to mess with magic eris is eris sees the matrix essentially like eris sees the the magic of the spell and fiddles with the spell itself um but we had the triumph i wanted a component so we decided there was a panel Yeah. yeah
0: and i mean uh, in terms of irene's question of why not just some make something else um i like the idea of magic rocks being stuck everywhere and i i like the idea of the simplicity of it so that's why i went with what i did so
2: yep yeah and and i think this is a universal thing especially when you're playing i mean if you're playing high fantasy maybe not so much but in a setting like this uh, I think it's kind of a universal thing that you round off to the nearest current object for what a thing does. <laughs> I mean, sure. you know, Sending Stones are a bad example because everybody immediately turns them into walkie-talkies, which is essentially what they're designed to be anyway. But, yeah, it's Crying Stone. It's a, it's a camcorder now. Uh, yeah, The little green discs, they're hoverboards. The boats are cars. You know, it's just... we. <laughs> It's what we do. Big boats are trucks. Uh. <laughs> Big boats are trucks. Dogs are boys. Cats are girls. I don't know. What else to say. <laughs> um, okay. And our last question for this one is from Becca, who hits it out of the park again with a totally not related to anything question that she just wants to know. What of the more obscure kitchen utensils would each character use the most? Things, for example, like a zester or mezzaluna? Does anyone know what a mezzaluna, a mezzaluna is? I, you know, I don't. A mezzaluna, I don't know what any obscure
3: utensils are, so <laughs> I don't know that I can even answer that.
2: A mezzaluna is the herb chopper that is the semicircle with multiple blades that you rock on the counter to cut herbs into strips or whatever greens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't like metsalunas. Um I I I I just I these did The first two things that popped into my head And both of them involve eggs And one of them is real and one of them is just dumb But I think that Hob Has, I think Hob eats a lot of eggs He sees it as reasonably Cruelty free uh, And high in protein But he also finds them boring So he got Eris to make him A, a, a Sharn equivalent of, you guys know what a golden scrambler is? Is it the thing that shakes the does, egg before? It, it does not shake it. For it much spins like it. much like tinsel versus shearing strength, centrifugal force is the only way to break an egg yolk inside the shell. It spins that mofo real fast. I used to do it with a long sleeve T-shirt. I would put it in the sleeve so and whip it up so you can like hard a, boil uh, scrambled eggs, which so sounds you, disgusting to me. No, personally. it's it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> golden eggs are the best. But so he, he he got a golden egg scrambler, and then after he hard boils them. And this is a real thing, and you can look it up just for fun, Z's. He takes it and he puts it in an egg cuber. Oh my god! And that is yes, exactly you know what, what it is. sounds like. It is you put a warm hard-boiled egg into the egg cuber, and it's like you torture rack down the little screw part, and it turns it from an ovoid into a cube. Hard-boiled eggs are the one of the easiest things
0: to quickly make for a meal, and Hobbes turned it into the most like
2: difficult.
3: An elaborate procedure.
2: Okay, first off, the golden scrambler takes seconds. It's on the box. All right. Secondly, Bob the, has, the egg cuber, I already said, was a joke. But yes, I do have one. Hob <laughs> has reduced I have his had meal had
1: to one. protein cubes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yellow protein cubes. And I make a castle, and I siege, and I eat. Because he... With Hob's size, he needs that many eggs to maintain that muscle mass.
1: Look, so, well, uh, when he was a lad, you know,
0: <laughs> he, he only ate four dozen eggs. And so right. this
3: this thing that Eris has made is oh, big sorry, enough guys, to do a, a dozen eggs at a time.
2: Yeah, so it's a long, it's it's long and thin, and you can open it up and you can put three or four eggs in at once. Okay, thank you all so much all. for listening. Uh, hey, I've been here. Er- hey, this ain't your <laughs> show, bub. I run this party. And Apparently,
4: the- it's Guy Fieri's. <laughs>
2: you know what? Okay, fine. Uh, I'll just stop answering questions, I guess.
1: Eris' obscure utensils. Eris has... Eris has made uh, one of those things that you could buy on a late night... Um, on a late night uh, uh, infomercial, infomercial that, you know, slices, dices, and juliennes all at the same time. Yeah. Um, So Eris has some sort of contraption that you can, that just will do any kitchen function.
4: Nice. I don't know why, but I feel like Reynard just likes to sit back in a chair and peel things. (laughs) Just a peeler? Just, just a potato peeler.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not if he's asked to. If someone needs him to to. peel potatoes, he will not do it. Doesn't even,
4: doesn't even eat them himself. He just has a whole bunch of stuff he peels.
3: Yeah, the, my, right. Milo's got nothing. I, he, Milo eats peas off of a knife. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> Milo. Milo has possession. That's so hard. <laughs> well, you do it with honey.
2: As Silver, is it Ogden Nash or Shel Silverstein? You guys don't know. Why am I saying that? <laughs> um, I, sorry, I hate to make assumptions. You guys know if that's an Ogden Nash or Shel Silverstein poem. I eat, you eat your beef with honey. I've done it all my life. Makes it taste more funny, but he keeps them on the knife anyway. Uh, Milo actually has possession of a lot of kitchen gadgets, I think. He just has no idea what Kylo used to do with these things. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Love it. He uses a mezzaluna, but he just uses it to cut butter. Like, he just... <laughs> That's right.
3: <laughs>
0: Pretty great. Oh, man. Uses a zester to grate cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> Real
2: finely grated cheese. It melts before it hits the plate. <laughs> he, he thinks... <laughs> He has used a splatter screen as a fly swatter, and it works fine. So, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you go. If, if it ain't broke. All right. Well, this His has... mother just stands there and watches him with just the saddest eyes. <laughs> as long as Becca keeps sending me questions like this, I will keep asking them at the ends of episodes to just absolutely derail everything right before yep. we say goodbye. So, thank you, Becca. You provided an invaluable service for my mental
4: health. <laughs>
2: And that'll do it for us. You will find us on all the social medias at the Geek Pantheon. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Eric streams on Twitch at the Geek Pantheon as well. Eric, tell us the nights and days, the times.
0: Uh, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Central, and then in the near future, it will also be Thursday nights. All right. At 8 p.m. Central.
2: There you go. In addition, Philip is the DM for Kyber Shards, uh, our YouTube show that is 5th edition D&D, set also in Eberron, but in Stormreach. Um, and I, it's true. I believe that's everything. Come get on our Discord. Uh, there's a link on at thegeekpantheon.com. There uh, are links on our Facebook pages, and I have to assume the other social medias that we have. Um, it's a blast, and I have a feeling we're going to reach a conclusion in the next set of episodes that we do. So make sure to get your questions in three episodes from now. We got another one of these coming. Here we go. Goodbye. I'm Jeff.
3: I'm Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy.
2: And I'm Eric. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. (laughs) See you next time.